Hey, what's up? God is good? You guys are looking good. Uh, we've been away for a few weeks. Got back last week. We went on a, we're talking about conflict, right? And we went on a road trip with our family. There were six or seven of us in the suburban, pulling a trailer behind us. And many opportunities for conflict. So I'm just here, fresh off the trail. We're from here down to California, did a wedding there, then over to Las Vegas, pick up my in-laws, Utah, back to Colorado, down to New Mexico, back to Utah, came around the bend in, uh, in Oregon, 84, you know, the north side of it, and you come, you hit the, got the Columbia River right here flowing to your right, and a picturesque view of Mount Hood, and it was just beautiful. It was awesome. I love the fact that I live in Oregon, uh, and I love the fact that that road trip is over, but anyway... <laughs> And we all survived. You know, a road trip, a good road trip is when you go and you come back. That's a good road trip. You make it all the way back. Well, Pastor Jerry and I are tag teaming on the sermon series, War and Peace, uh, discovering the best way to deal with conflict. And uh, during the first week, we learned that conflict is common. In fact, uh, conflict is an opportunity in work clothes. I think you heard him talk about that. You either put on boxing gloves or work gloves. We suggest the, the work gloves. Unless you're driving down to New Mexico, then you can put on the boxing gloves. Um, just kidding. Every time I face a conflict, Pastor Jerry said, I'm faced with the opportunity to get better, to grow. Right? We all look forward to that opportunity to grow, don't we? Not so much. <laughs> and then last week, Pastor Jerry unpacked for us how we could grow by asking God for his wisdom. I was taking some notes and really loved uh, him unpacking that for us. And there was one thing in particular that he touched on that kind of, you know, was one of those zingers. Paying attention to how we communicate, that was kind of an interesting uh, insight because as, as, he, as he was saying, 55% of our communication is physical. It's what we do with our, is our body language. 38% uh, of that is the tone of our voice. And then 7% is what we actually say or the words that we speak. And, and I'm, 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 Kimberly reminds me that sometimes my facial expressions, my body language tend to mitigate against my message. You know, I'm trying to say something. But I've got all kinds of other things going on. And so I'm trying to, she's been working on me for 28 years. I'm doing a little bit better, right, honey? Doing a little bit better, a little bit better. Because, uh, you know, there'll be people that'll say that I'm mean. And I'm just, I'm, I'm actually just trying to listen to them. She goes, you made that girl cry. So what? She was talking to you and you were like. <laughs> and I'm just trying to listen because I'm kind of hard of hearing. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to, what do you say? And what she interpreted that as, get out of my face, you're bugging me. She was half right. And no, I'm just kidding. And so that was really good, you know, just a good reminder that body language and, and facial expressions are important to kind of pay attention to in terms of communication and, and alleviating some conflict, that you, unnecessary conflict. Uh, and then being willing to ask yourself, what has been my contribution to the conflict? That's, that's a messed up question, right? What's my contribution? A lot of times when we're in, in, a, in a situation where conflict exists, we don't think we have anything to do with it. Right? We, we think we're the innocent party. And, uh, but the truth is, we have contributed something to that conflict. So the question that we should be asking ourselves, that we should be willing to ask ourselves, is what was my contribution to that conflict? And the, you may not like the answer, but that's, you know, that'll be helpful in how you respond to that reality when it comes to our participation. And then you know, Pastor Jerry gave us uh, some transformational leadership tools in terms of the six-step apology. If you didn't get a chance to see that, I want to encourage you to download that message, and on there you'll see the six steps to apology and uh, uh, the effective kind of apology. Not the kind of apology when your kids get in, get in a fight, you tell them to say, I'm sorry to each other. Do you ever get that kind of, say you're sorry, I'm sorry. That doesn't work so well in like marriage situation. Didn't work for me last week either, did it? 
But conflict is a common part of our human experience. And how we respond to and navigate conflict will influence the quality of our relationships and I believe the quality of our lives. And that's why it's important for us to be open to hear the scriptures and what they have to say about how we should position or posture ourselves in conflict. Now, when my kids were younger, they, they would notice how some of their friends and, and relatives were able to do certain things. They would do, you know, so-and-so and such-and-such, and, and we wouldn't allow them to do some certain, certain things. And so uh, these weren't big deals like, you know, wearing a helmet when you ride, ride, ride a bike or uh, sleep over. Just, you know, not, not big deal. At least not to us, it wasn't a big deal. But for them, it was a point of conflict. And, and my kids would inevitably ask the question, hey, why, why can Johnny do so-and-so and such-and-such, and we can't do so-and-so and such-and-such? And then I would lean over and I would ask Levi and I'd say, uh, what's your last name, son? Levasa. Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, if you want to do what the Smiths do, you may want to go and check with them and see if they'll let you do so-and-so and such-and-such. Such. See if they have some room in their house for you. See how that works out. And uh, end of conflict. Problem resolved, right? That was a fair question. But I had to remind my kids that as Levasas, we do things a little differently. We're not better than. We just, we just do it uniquely. And, uh, and that we've chosen to do life a particular way. And if they don't like it, you know, there's big neighborhood, lots of nice houses, lots of, lots of nice families. Knock yourself out. Um, and in dealing with conflict and other life issues, I have to remind myself who I am as a follower of Jesus. I want to use Jesus' words to his followers as we delve into the topic of conflict within the context of the workplace. Let's see what Matthew 5 says. says, and this is Jesus, kind of like me reminding my son what his last name is. It's, it's the scriptures reminding us of who we are as we kind of delve into this topic. You are the salt of the earth. You're preservative. You give flavor. There are health properties to your life. There's healing properties to your life. There's wealth in your life. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Not only are you the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, you call us to be salt and light in a, in, a, in, a, in a generation and in a culture that is bland when it comes to what the truths that you have for us. In a culture that is against you. In a culture that has dismissed your truth, has dismissed your blessing. God, let us be the salt and the light that you've called us to be in this place, in our lives, in our families, in our workplace, and wherever we find ourselves within our communities God, I pray that your word this morning would find fertile soil of open hearts, that you might plant your word strategically and specifically in areas that we need planting, that we, you would water it by your Holy Spirit, and that it would bear fruit that brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in the house said, amen. I know I'm the only thing between you and a hot lunch, so just bear with me for the next couple hours and we'll get you on. Webster's Dictionary defines conflict as a sharp disagreement or opposition of interests or ideas. Anytime people work together, conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's estimated that managers spend at least 25% of their time resolving workplace conflict, causing lowered office performance. 
Handling and resolving conflict that arise in the workplace is one of the biggest challenges to managers and employees. There's a study that was done by Myers-Briggs Assessment, uh, and what they discovered is that 2.8 hours of every employee's life is spent dealing with conflict. 2.8 hours out of your work week is, is, is uh, spent in dealing with conflict. This amounts to approximately $359 billion in paid hours based on an average hourly earning of $17.95, or the equivalent of 385 million working days. A lot of time spent dealing with conflict, and conflict affects the bottom line of many, of, of every organization, every business, every community, every family. Another study revealed that the standard average percentage of time middle managers spend in addressing workplace conflict is 42%. In other words, 58 cents of every dollar goes towards product, productive activity that will affect the bottom line positively. 42 cents out of every dollar goes towards managing the toxic environment or situation that might appear within a workplace. Not a very good use of resources and of time and money. But no matter the types of conflict in the workplace, ignoring them and hoping they'll go away is not a good idea because it's going to come back. It'll resurface and impact the workplace. So if you're a leader in business, it's going to cost you in terms of wasted time listening to the people's complaints. Uh, it'll, it'll cost you when you're complaining as a, as a leader to others about how tough you've got it, which is a bad idea as a leader. Lost productivity is people spend more time worrying about the conflict than the organization's goals. I remember when I was in the private sector, uh, more than a few times I had a few of my direct reports that would come into the office and say, hey, Raj, I've got some things I want to talk about, you know, blah, blah, blah. So before they even started, I would ask them the question, okay, first of all, does it have anything to do with our department? No, sir. Does it have anything to do with somebody within our department? No, sir. Does it have anything to do with your productivity or what you do in your role? No, sir. Well, we don't have anything to talk about. I mean, it sounds mean, but I had to kill that serpent right away. I decided to squash that bug or it's going to grow into a monster. And so not very popular with that conversation, but frankly, I didn't care. I was, I was anyway. Yeah, yeah whatever. So lost productivity is we spend time worrying about the conflict, absenteeism, health claims, people withdrawing emotionally, employee turnover, aggression, and, and unfortunately even violence in the workplace. We've seen the outcome of that. And it all started, and sometimes it started with something just seemingly insignificant, but it was never dealt with or was dealt with in the wrong way. Just, just curious, I'm, everybody, now many of you are either own business or, or in business. I'm, I'm just curious, how many of you have had to deal with conflict in the place that you've worked, either previously or currently? That way you're safe. It's okay, you can sit. I'm not taking a picture, right? But it's common. We all face it, right? We all, we, we've all dealt with conflict in the workplace. And so this morning, hopefully, we can, can look at some, some answers for us as we kind of navigate that in our workplace. Typically, if you're involved in the conflict, you may feel emotions of discontent, miserableness, distress, frustration, resentment. And unfortunately for us, for those of us in the workplace, that, trans, that doesn't stay in a little cubicle at work. It comes with us in a trailer as we go home, right? We pull that trailer up in the house. All of a sudden, we start unpacking it with the family, and it just affects our relationships at home as well. And so what happens in the workplace is, is going to affect what happens at home. Here are some sources of conflict. Poor communication. Different communication styles can lead to misunderstandings between employees. 
between the employee and managers. And the lack of communication drives conflict underground. Different values. Any workplace is made up of individuals who see the world differently. And conflict happens when we're not willing to, when we're ignoring, we're not willing to accept and understand what those differences are. Different interests. Conflict occurs when individuals work, workers fight for their personal goals, their own agenda, and ignoring the, the organization's goals. Scarce resources. Employees feel they have to compete for available resources in order to do their job. In a resource-scarce environment, this causes conflict despite awareness of how scarce those resources are. You probably never face that in your workplace. Personality clashes. You, I'm, I'm not talking to you, so don't worry about this. All work environments are made up of differing personalities, right? They just are. And some personalities get on your nerves more than others. Well, guess what? Your nerves, you get on other people's nerves too. You just don't know it. So unless colleagues understand and accept each other's approach to work and problem-solving conflict will occur, going to happen. And then poor performance. And this typically happens when one or more individuals within a work unit are not performing, not working up to their potential, and there's nobody responding to that or adjusting that behavior because everybody is pulling their load and they feel like, man, we're just dragging these guys along, right? That might cause, that will cause some conflict. And then in, in, our, in, in our modern workspace, there are significant levels of stress and conflict related to change management, downsizing, technological change, and the, and the pressure that it puts to stay up with the technology that's, that's in the marketplace, to compete in the marketplace. Many workplaces suffer from constant reorganization, leading to further stress and further conflict. I, again, back to my former life in the corporate world, I remember when, when I came off a of vacation one summer, and I was told by a home office based out of Amsterdam, you have to fire your whole staff. We had to eliminate an entire department, and so I had to, I had to call in my direct reports, the managers that I had, 12 of them. That's 12 families. That's 12 mortgages. That's 12, those are, those are, those are people, those are individuals, and they were affected by the downsizing in our company. Behind all the data and definitions of conflict are real people who are needing real help to navigate conflict in the workplace. So what can you and I do in our workplace when it comes to conflict? Whether you're an employer or an employee, part of the management team, or just part-time, what should our response be? And I've got a few that I'd like to kind of chat with you about this, this morning. First of all, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, verse 10, here's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I like what the Amplified Version says, Blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. The makers and maintainers of peace. And as we're kind of going through this, where do you, where do you stand? Are you, a, are you a maker and a maintainer of peace? And what does it mean to be a peacemaker? The dictionary says that a peacemaker is a person, a group, or a nation that tries to make peace, especially by reconciling parties who disagree quarrels, or fight. Peace is mutual harmony between people, groups, and especially in personal relationships. I like what James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 3, verse 18 in the Amplified Version. Here's what peace is. It's agreement, harmony between individuals, with, under, with undisturbedness, in a peace mi peaceful mind, free from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts. So what does a peacemaker look like? 
James gives us a description perhaps that we could use. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, it's on the wall for you. If you're wise in understanding God's way, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, where you will, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all, and here's, here's what a peacemaker should look like. It is also peace-loving. Everybody say peace-loving. Gentle at all times. Willing to yield to others. You know, and as I'm going through this list, it's, it's, some of these are tough for me. Uh, peace-loving. I'd rather have a good fight than peacemaking sometimes. You know, I'm just dumb that way, unfortunately. Gentle at all times. Tough one for me, too. My kids and wife will attest to that. Willing to yield to others. Right? Some of us struggle with other things more than, other, more than these. Uh, it's full of mercy. Everybody say full of mercy. And the fruit of good deeds. Then it goes on, and I'll read this. You don't have to read long. It shows no favoritism, always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Planting seeds of peace and harvest of righteousness. So the first thing is let's be, be a peacemaker in your workplace. Be a peacemaker at home. Secondly is keep the main thing the main thing. So be a peacemaker, keep the main thing the main thing. Psalms uh, 133 says this in the first verse and, and the end of the third verse. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, in peace, in unity. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessings, even life everlasting. Another version says, there God commands a blessing. When there's, when there's unity, when there's peace, he commands his blessing. When unity and harmony is in the workplace, the focus is on the goals and the objectives of the company, the business, or the organization. We can, we can focus on what matters to us, why I'm hired, the reason why I'm a part of this group. We can focus on, what, what, on the stuff that, that's important to us and the stuff that matters. But when conflict arises... The question is, how well do you navigate and manage the conflict? Because how well you do that will determine how quickly you can get back on track and towards something more productive. So what tools do you have in place to help you navigate and manage conflict? Question to you if you're a business owner. What tools do you have in place where those who work with you, those who might be your employees or whatever that might be for your situation, what tools do you have in place for them to be able to manage conflict, navigate conflict? Perhaps you're an employee. What do you have in place at your workplace in terms of how to manage conflict and how to work through that? Ask HR about that. And if there isn't anything in place, perhaps you can be the answer. Perhaps you can begin to live out what we're about to hear in Scripture. James chapter 4, Jesus' brother gives us a great thought to have whenever we're about to engage in addressing a conflict. So somebody's offended you, now you're about to engage in a conflict. Here's what James says. But he gives us more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So our, our, our predisposition, or our stance as we go into this is, first of all, of humility. And then Jesus says in Matthew 18, he gives us some principles for addressing conflict and for guarding and guiding our relationships. Here's what Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17 says. If another believer sins against you, go privately 
and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by the two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. He's talking about church government, church discipline in this particular context. But if you take the principles that are in here and apply it to your workplace, how, 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 what, what, was that, what does that look like? So first of all, there's an offense. What do you do? You go tell everybody, you, you, you've seen that happen. So, hey, hey, Raj, did you hear what happened at work the other day? No, I didn't. What happened? Well, you know, so-and-so and such-and-such did so. And I had nothing to do with it. All of a sudden, that story begins to grow, get some traction. Now you've got a mess going on. But this is what Jesus said. He says, if another person sins against you, if you're offended, first of all, and I like the way that... Uh, I like how transformation and leadership training coached us on how we should approach each other in these situations. Go in humility. That's what James says. Because you could be wrong. You might be wrong. Go in humility. Go in pre-forgiveness. Before you get there, deal with the situation that you're offended by and give that to God, that you've forgiven that person already, and then go to them. So you come into them with a clean slate. Going in humility, go in pre-forgiveness, and then go in love. That might be hard to do, especially when that person's on your nerves all the time, right? But you go in love, which means you care more about the other person than you do about yourself, that you're willing to go to them and deal with the situation because your relationship with them within the context of where you work is more important than how they feel about you. And then go with 100% truth. Take the facts with you. Try to pull your emotions out of it. Take the facts. What was the offense? How did that affect your working relationship. Jesus says this. He says, when you're in that situation, remember, you're going to go in with good intentions, a good heart to understand them, assess the situation, go in love, go with the facts, wait for their response. And they may say, get out of my face. I don't know what you're talking about. That might happen. Things might blow up. And if it does, he tells us, hey, take, take two or three other people so they can bear witness to what's going on. And if that person still is not willing to resolve, then back away, bring them to the team. And if they're still not willing to reconcile, then you got to figure out a way to separate. But there's a process in place. There's some principles that God gives us in his word on how we can preserve relationship, how we can keep the other person, even the person that might be offending you, keep them whole, protect them as well in the process. At Horizon, our relationships are important to us. And we've incorporated the principles in Matthew 18 in the form of a social covenant designed to protect and preserve relationships and unity within the context of our working together. Because God has called us to do something very unique here at Horizon Community Church. God has called you to do something very unique in your workplace. There's a target that he's, he's put in front of you. There's a, there's a purpose and a plan that he's put in, in front of you. And these conflicts, these, these situations, if you don't navigate them correctly, are, are, are going to knock you off course. You're going to waste time. You're going to waste energy. You're going to waste resources. But the hope is that if you deal with it in a scriptural manner, in, 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 in how Jesus has laid it out in Matthew 18, you'll be blessed in, in part of that process. So be a peacemaker. Keep the main thing the main thing. And then lastly, we harvest what we plant. We harvest what we plant. Galatians chapter 6 Verse 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly 
should gently and humbly. Everybody say gently and humbly. Gently and humbly. Don't you appreciate when people are very gentle and humble when they come to you with, a, with something that, 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 that they see in your life that they want to help you with? I appreciate that more than somebody coming and just busting into my world. But they come. He said, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That's the goal. The goal is to help one another, help that person back onto the right path. The goal is restoration. The goal is reconciliation. God in Christ Jesus was reconciling us to God himself, making us, putting us back in right standing. Be careful. It says this. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Paul is serving it up. Because the reality is we could, we could fall into the same trap too. We're not above that. We're not above that. And so he's saying check yourself. Make sure you're not all judgmental. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the same mess. A few weeks ago when we were driving from here to Southern Cal talked about our trip all the way down to New Mexico and back. I really love the fact that I live in Oregon, but when we're driving through some of these areas, man, you see fields like in Idaho, be just miles, as far as you can see, just fields, alfalfa, corn, whatever it is, potatoes. They were growing, and I thought to myself, man, these guys know exactly what they're planting. These farmers, the thought came to me uh, as, I, as I saw that the, when the farmer plants a plant, he, he knows exactly what he's planting, and he's expecting a harvest of the same. So, when the, when the farmer is planting corn, guess what he's going to harvest? Corn. When he's going to plant peas, he's going to harvest peas. When he plants pineapples, he's going to harvest pineapples. When he plants peaches, he's not going to harvest bananas. Right? And so what we plant, you will harvest, good or bad. Here's what Galatians says that we ought to do. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. There's going to be conflict when, when our spirit life and our flesh life are warring against each other's. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, this is Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are some good qualities. So as we're embracing, as we're allowing God to live large in us and push all the junk out, as more of him begins to emerge in our personality and who we are and how we deal with conflict, we have, we have a good shot at this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. You're going to harvest what you plant. Here's a, here's a thought. It's not original. I, I got a version of it that I put down. Plant a thought, harvest an action. Plant an action, harvest a habit. Plant a habit, harvest a lifestyle. Plant a lifestyle, harvest your destiny. Plant a thought, harvest an action. Plant an action, harvest a habit. Plant a habit, harvest a lifestyle. Plant a lifestyle, harvest your destiny. It's important that we pay attention to what we're planting, what we're allowing into our lives in the context of our relationships at work and the context of our relationship at home. What are you planting? Are they, are they seeds that are going to bring about righteous fruit? Or are they going to be trouble in your life later on? 
Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it become, be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That ought to be the goal that we have. That people ought to see our good works, not just for, so they can feel good about us, but so they can see the Father through us. They can see that we're peacemakers. They can see that we're focusing on what matters. And that they, they see that we're planting good seed and hopefully good soil that brings about a good, good product. Be a part of the reason your company, your organization, your business thrives and not the source of contention or conflict. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Be a peacemaker. Keep the main thing the main thing. And pay attention to what you're planting because in due time, you will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest.